0: Happy guy, then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie. Then he thought that he just couldn't die. So, then he laughed. So, all Hello and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast episode 4-390. This is Chris, your friend and host, and today we continue with our ultra training theme. Yeah, I have a long write-up of my last hard week of training before my race. And I've also got an interview with Pam, who is an ultra runner and the director of the Heron Project. And she's a talker, but I think you'll get some some good thoughts out of it like I did. Again this week, since the interview is long and the write-up is long, I'll just air those two segments. I'm in my taper for my 100 miler at the end of the month. And today, it is actually one of those rarest of animals. A rest day. Yeah, rest day. And last weekend, I knocked out an all-nighter An all-night-long 50-miler with a follow-up 20-miler that you will hear all about today. And now I'm in my taper and trying to do some race prep and not get fat. So, episode 390. 390 is another good year to talk about on the Julian and Gregorian calendars. In 390, there was the Thessalonica Massacre, where the Roman governor killed a bunch of people who were rioting. And they were rioting over a sporting event. See, this stuff never changes. Flipping cars, breaking windows, over a sporting event. Some popular chariot driver got killed and it kicked off a little revolt. But more importantly, meanwhile, as they say, there was this goth named Alaric. He was starting to make trouble up in Thrace. And so a Roman general by the name of Stilicho, who was half Vandal, spent the next 20 years pushing these Goths around and trying to keep them out of Rome. And you may recognize the name Alaric, because Alaric ended up sacking Rome with an army of Visigoths in 410, which many historians consider the end for the Roman Empire. And you know why the Goths were migrating west from the steppes? Because they were being pushed around by the Huns. It's all interrelated, geopolitical. But let's let's settle this talk of barbarian hordes aside, and let's talk about some ultra-running stuff. On with the show. And now for today's featured interview. Why don't you give us the, the 200 words or less on who you are and what you do?
1: Well, I am an old mom who la- loves to run and, and help people. <laughs> that's that's my bio in a, in a nutshell. But, um, no, I'm a 56-year-old mom of three and married to my college sweetheart and uh, live in southwest Virginia, south of Roanoke, Virginia, born and raised on the east, on the east side of um, Cleveland, the north coast, I am uh, 12, a little over 12 years sober, recovering alcoholic addict. And I get to work for, I get to work in that industry because I get to work for the Heron Project, which is a nonprofit started by former NBA basketball player Chris Heron in 2011 to help people get sober, stay sober, avoid avoid addiction altogether. And so I hooked up with Chris Heron and the Heron Project in two, at the 2014 Boston Marathon. My my goal was to um, meet him and have him sign my 2013 Boston Marathon jacket and um, the rest is history. I now have worked for the Heron Project since 2000. the end of 2014. I get to direct a program we have called the THP Runs or the Heron Project Runs. It's a little bit of a misnomer now because we do a lot of other things besides running. We are what I like to call a movement or THP moves because we do a lot of running, but we ha- we are involved in other sports and the core of what we do and what we are uh, revolves around relationships and how running connects us and helps us heal and grow and help other people.
0: Yeah. So as you know, Pam, I've been spending a lot of time alone with myself over the last few months, and That's- and wh- one of the one of the things I I've been thinking about is how running. Uh, scratches that community itch, right? Yes, Where Absolutely. the modern society sort of pushed people away from community, where it used to be yes. very family, very community-oriented, and then the, uh, the Internet sort of came in to fill that hole and not necessarily in a good way. And I think a lot Absolutely. of the stress in the modern world and that kind of stress that leads to people not having a, you know, feeling alone and, and leads to some of these, you know, the emotional problems that lead to the drug problems, you know, is yes. that lack of community. And, and I've been thinking about this, that, that running plugs that hole. You know, as I listen to the ultra runners and, yes. and the trail runners, it's such a strong community of support. Do you see that as well? Sorry for the long question.
1: Oh, no, it's It was a brilliant question, and i I concur one hundred percent with what you said. That is why we grow. That is why we have grown organically and remarkably over the past four years. i mean whether whether they're helping people in recovery or or not, running does connect us. And whether you're running a local five k or meeting a meeting a running group in your neighborhood, or just running with your best friend or your mate, it, you know again, it's one of those things where where two or more gather you know I mean it really you don't have to have a huge crowd, you can even just have two people. It is such a I find personally it's such an intimate but safe place to to get to know someone um one on one um it's also. Such a diver- The diversity of the sport is, uh, from what I've experienced, the diversity is greater than it's ever been in terms of, you know, all shapes and sizes, all ages, all abilities. That's certainly true for, for the folks that I work with. I mean, I, I have about 550 people that are involved with THP runs, you know, not all active at the same time, but there's about there's a little over 550 people that have connected with us over the, the past uh, three and a half years. The diversity of the group is something that I and we at the Heron Project always marvel over. And it makes, and it's so rich. It really makes us who we are. Wonderful work with people, helping people to find recovery. And not only, one of the things about the Heron Project, speaking of community, that we focus on is family. Our mission is one person, one family at a time. And without sounding corny, as I say this all the time, it, we really do do that. And I'm biased because I work for the Heron Project, but I, I hope I'm biased in the best way because I see what we do from the inside out. I, I mentioned to you before when we first started speaking today that I, you know, I don't do that work. I don't do the clinical work or the treatment navigation or lead the, the free virtual groups or sober living or recovery coaching, but I get to raise money and awareness for my colleagues who do it. And we, all of that is done through community as well. But, um, and I'm getting off track a little bit because I know we were talking about the running community. But the, the, the reason that the Heron Project runs, GHP runs, has grown is because it's not just because, oh, someone wants to run Boston or someone wants to connect with us because we help them. And both those things are true in many other reasons why people connect with us, but they stay with us because of the community. Because of the the Heron Project Runs community, I'm feeling it so viscerally, especially right now, because weekend before last, we had a retreat for our ambassadors. It was the first one we've ever had. I have 20 ambassadors for the Heron Project and for THP Runs. And all of that came about organically as well. I didn't sit there, sit down and say, okay, for 2018, I'd like to have an ambassador program and I'll put out an application. None of it happened that way. It all happened because I had these people that once they ran a race with us, they didn't leave. They didn't just, it wasn't a one and done. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to run, raise money to help someone and then go on to something else. We, especially when we get together face-to-face, we connected in such a way through the running that they wanted to stay. And so that's how the ambassador program grew. So last weekend, we talked about the power of our community the whole time. I mean, we did do a, little, a short run and then, you know, we wouldn't be together without the running, but it wasn't about the running. And even my job, it's not about the running. It's about the relationships and the community and the, those holes that we fill, like you said before, we do, you know, we do, we are separated more, we're in silos more. And I think it's been coming for a long time. The last thing I'll say on that subject, because I'm, I know I'm much older than you is I, cause I used to work for the YNCA in a in a development role, and one of the books we read way back when um I don't even remember what year it was published, but probably late nineties and it was called it's called bowling alone and it was it was a it really it blew my mind when I read it way back when because this was even before social media and so forth, but it was about the movement of our society our society moving away from community. So, you know, people are, aren't bowling on, in leagues anymore. <laughs> They're bowling alone, right. you know, or just, you know, going yeah, with right, one person. Right. So that, right. that's the type of thing I think that really started the way before it, when the Internet first came, came on the scene and has just snowballed. But I'm an optimist. And so the way one other thing I'll say about that is I feel like we can use technology and we can use the things that have kind of pushed us apart a little bit to we can use them for good instead of evil we can use them as tools to stay connected and to build more community and to stay stay connected especially when we're not um, physically in the same neighborhood and we can grow and learn from each other and again that's just my yeah. personal experience i couldn't have grown t h p runs without the internet and without our our closed facebook group i mean there's magic that happens sure. there sure.
0: like i was saying to you before you know you were talking about community and and uh, purpose. Um, and those are the things that drive people. And I think running right. gives you a little bit of both of those. It gives you the purpose right. and the community. So when people, you know, add anything, if it's any organization you're in, any professional organization yeah. in business, it's not the money, <laughs> it's the community and the purpose, which keeps the people purpose. there and, and makes them excel, right?
1: So Absolutely.
0: Let, let me circle back though to your mission. Again, I've been looking at a lot of ultra stuff and interacting with a lot of ultra people. You know, I read Katra's book just a couple weeks ago. Why are there so many recovering people in ultra running? Does does addiction create such a large hole that the only way you could fill it is to run 200 miles at a time?
1: Well, you know, in a way, and at different levels, I think yes. I think you know the easy answer, and I'm no, I'm no doctor or professional in that area, but I think we're wired similarly. Um, I think that you do. In my own case, I'll I'll answer for myself um, that when I first got sober in 2006, and I was, I was a runner for 30, almost 30 years. I had run seven marathons, active in my alcoholism, you know, not drunk while I was running, but I was an active alcoholic at the time getting away with it because I thought I was fine and I looked fine and I could, you know, run marathons. I qualified for Boston five times. And many of us in recovery or many of us either addicts or recovering addicts operated that way for quite a while. So there's several people that I know that um, are from the camp of they used to actually be they were runners even before they got into recovery but then there's also a large group of folks that that found it as an as an outlet after getting into recovery as well but i think what it is is again we're, we're kind of wired that way where we have some energy we need an outlet we also need that the isolation factor i mean i'm an extra i seem an extroverted and you know i'm you know constantly always you, you had jobs where i was very much in front of people and dealing with people. But I also really had that need to isolate, did that when I was drinking. So I think, and and when we're running, like when you are, are training for your hundred, what we talked about a few minutes ago, you were by yourself for many hours running that 50 mile or when, you know, but it wasn't a negative thing. It wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't like you were off isolating in a negative way. It was in a good way. And, and that's the way I find I find running helps me too, to, to just to not multitask, but to just spend time thinking, praying, being, not doing necessarily, even though I am doing something by training or just running, I get to just be. So when I first got sober, the reason I said that I ran before was because you know, I was like the last thing on my list to worry about. I knew that I hope I can run again someday and But when I got home and began my recovery with my family, you know, everything was on the table and I had, you know, I wasn't working. I wasn't driving for three years. I, I just put everything on the table. So it wasn't like, okay, I can't wait to, you know, enter a race now, now that I'm sober, but I didn't even, I only wanted to run one more marathon. That was my huge goal in life was to run one marathon as a sober person. As I look back on that, it's funny. I don't laugh at myself because I remember that that was a great goal. But that turned into 40s more. I mean, I've run 56 marathons now and many, many ultras. So that was what was in store for me. I had no idea at the time. But I did want to run, you know, one more marathon. So I started running just a little bit further down the road, you know, after I was uh, sober for a while and working on my recovery. Because I knew myself, too, and I knew if I just jump right into running again, I'm just going to use it as a substitute and I'm going to be all. Yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, some people say that uh, you'll read that and hear it a lot. You know, i you just addicted to running now. Or gosh, you know, if you run that much or that long or that far, you're addicted to it. I don't worry about that question very much because I do have to use my program or my my recovery and my the tools that I have that I use all the time without even thinking about them now because they changed me as a person, thank God. But I use that with my running. So if I lie about my running or if i using it for evil, I mean, you know, again, just say, you know, use it for good instead of evil, then, then that's a bad thing. Or if I'm neglecting my family, if I'm neglecting my work, if I'm running injured, if I'm, you know, not following my coach's plan. And it's funny, I posted this today. Chris, because I did a hill, a repeat workout, Sandy Nypaver is my coach. I don't, I, I'm sure you probably know who she is, Sage's girlfriend. And on my plan today was to do these a specific hill repeat workout. The hardest one I've ever done in my life. Uh, and I was even thinking about, okay, I'm just going to cut this a little bit short because I'm by myself and I was just not going to you know do the whole thing because it was really hard. But then, and I even posted this you know, and today I said, but follow directions was in my mind. And that's what kept me going. Yeah. Now I wasn't, you know, if I'm sick or hurt, I'm not going to keep going because I've learned that too. I'm not going to keep going. I don't think that's badass. I think that's wrong. And for me, it's wrong to to continue if I'm sick or injured. But if I'm just uncomfortable, no, I'm. I choose this discomfort. You know, this that this is a wonderful thing that I get to. I get to choose this discomfort. So so that follow directions thing that I literally learned. In April of 2006, when I was in treatment, when one of the speakers said, what's the definition of humility? And everybody was saying different things. And I arrogantly sat there thinking, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. And then he said, well, all of those definitions are correct technically, but really it's just two words. Humility is follow directions. And I went, whoa, you know. That was profound to me because that was one of the reasons why I didn't get sober the other times I had tried to, because I wasn't following directions. I was doing it my own way.
0: I think one of the cool things about running when you get into longer distances, like these ultra distances, is it forces you to be in the moment and it simplifies (laughs) everything. You cannot (laughs) think about what you have to do tomorrow, right? Right. All you can think about is what am I doing right now? Right. And so I think that's why people who have sort of addictive personalities, which I do as well, that's why they like it, because it simplifies everything.
1: Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It definitely quiets all the voices in your mind. Right. Right.
1: And I think it's also because we feel and again, I only want to speak for myself, although I've had this conversation with so many of my wonderful ultra running friends and acquaintances over the years, but i I love feeling now, and honestly before when I was medicating self medicating with alcohol i was you know I wasn't tolerating feelings bored like tired um stressed whatever I technically needed to drink over it, whether I did or not depended on the situation but i that's what i I didn't want to be feeling things, and now I feel so much. I really celebrate it. Again, I've been sober over 12 years now, and that never grows old. I mean, I felt it this morning when I did that hill, those hill repeats. I was like, this is amazing yeah. that I get to feel this kind of thing. And it wasn't just, oh, I'm so badass, or I'm so great that I don't even know. You know, It wasn't even about that. It was about, I get to do this. And that's a, another cliche, but really important thing that I, I not only say, but I believe, is that I don't have to run. Oh, yeah. I get to. And you, you don't, we, we well, don't have to, especially, especially these ultras, you know, I mean, we don't have to be doing this, but we not only get to, but we pay for it <laughs> and we, you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time and resources.
0: Talk about following directions. One of the things that's really amazed me, especially as I get older is I have all my life thought I've known everything yeah. and uh, yeah. we're smarter than everybody else. And it never ceased to amaze me how much, better my coach understands what I'm capable of than I do in both the good way and the bad way. fascinating? Right?
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That resonates with me a hundred percent. And and again, because I'm older, because I'm 56 now, I don't know, not that I'm worried about, I'm really not worried about getting older and maybe ask me that again in 10 years from now, but I love it because I kind of feel like, and I don't want to misuse this term, but that I was born again, especially when I got sober, because I feel like I get to start over in a way. And so I no. love I mean, my coach, Sandy Nyfavor, is, is she just turned 30. And so, you know, I'm she's literally I'm old enough to be her mom and I have a daughter who's almost 30. But I don't think about i her, I I trust her, her wisdom, her her knowledge, her knowledge of me as I as I give her input. And I just I just love that. I love. I love the fact that I don't know everything and not only that I finally figured that out, but it's comforting to me because, yeah, I don't know how you felt when you felt that way, but it was extremely exhausting. And, and I, I, it was really, I would live in fear too, because I think there was part of me right. that knew that I didn't know everything, but you know, someday somebody's going to figure this out, that I am don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so to not yep, have you to just do the workout,
0: do the workout. Right. No, that's my right. rule. My rule is you got to show up and try. You may not be able to get it done, but you got to show up and try.
1: It's an individual sport. And if you're competitive, great. Be competitive. And I'm even competitive with with myself. I mean, I love, you know, crushing a goal or running a PR or whatever it is. But I love the fact that I'm not doing this for my living. I don't have to win. Uh, And I get to, you know, run with, with the elites. I get to run in the same events that they do. Um, whether it's the Boston Marathon or you know a hundred mile trail race, and I get to run my own race. <laughs> I'm supposed to, you know, I'm that's exactly yeah. what I have to do. Is not I can't. I'm not. You know, the team is not going to fail if I run a bad race because the team is me. So, yeah. but I get to be with yeah. all these incredible
0: people, incredible people that I get to meet. Yeah. Speak, speaking of, speaking of which, Pam, one of the articles I read on you was you were part of that crew with Charlie Engels and Kathra oh. who did that thing where you ran across the United States in four hour shifts. I mean, and I'll, this will show yes. how old I am, but it seems sort of like uh, Ken Kesey and the magic bus there.
1: <laughs> so. yes, exactly. That's great. I love that. I love that reference. Um, but no, yeah, I was. I was very fortunate to be part of that, that group. It was in the summer of 2016. So it's two years ago now and uh, we left Santa Monica um here May fifteenth, and we pulled into DC June ninth. June eighth or June ninth, and um, finished at the Mental Health America conference. So yeah, it was. Um, we had three to four hour shifts because there were two of us. We, we ran individually because there was always one person running twenty four seven. We never stopped. That's how we got across the country that fast. We took. We, there were two two runners in a in a, in the white van. <laughs> there was a white van and two RVs. And we pretty much uh, leapfrogged each other, so you had a seven-hour shift of sharing the. There was about a, about a marathon per day per person, and that's about how much uh, distance you had to cover during your seven-hour shift sharing that, those seven hours. So it was three and a half hours per person. So it was it was grueling, <laughs> but honestly, that was that was. I I could do a whole show on that, and I won't. But I'll just say, as the oldest. Person and the I was the only mom and the oldest person and and the one of three females. I was shocked with my own performance because I knew I was in shape and I was you know I had the mental and emotional and spiritual willingness to do it, but physically I was you know I wasn't afraid, but I was concerned. I wasn't sure how I was going to hold up, and it, the further we got along, the body it adjusted. And, um, right. you know, we had very few right. injuries or illnesses I did. It does. And it became the easiest part of the whole effort, honestly. And everyone will agree with me. If they were on this call, they would say the running was the easiest part after a while because, with the exceptions of certain terrains and so forth, because, you know, we then we only had 14 hours off. And that sounded like a long time in the beginning, but that meant eat, sleep, meet with people, because as we ran across the country we were meeting not only with guest runners but at VFW halls, YMCAs, schools, treatment centers, salvation armies to spread our message. <laughs> so, you know, it sounded like, of course, you know, we have all this time when we're not when we're not the person running. But no, you have to because every day our shift started three hours earlier so that nobody had to run the same time of day. Every day. So we had jet lag every single day. <laughs> but yeah, and our whole mission was, it was called the icebreaker run to break the ice for conversations. And so it was very much along the mission of the Heron Project, which was one of the uh, the two organizations that sponsored it, was the Heron Project and Mental Health America, the two nonprofits. So And then we finished so, their uh, conference.
0: You've run this burning river race a couple times, it sounds like. I what's have. Your, I've only done the uh, 100 once. So and then I did the 50 mile
1: twice. Oh, my advice is to is take as long as you can so you can make it last. <laughs> Do it in 29 <laughs> hours and 59 minutes. <laughs> um, I, think, I think I'm in,
0: I think i in too good a shape for that. Unless oh, something goes it. really okay. sideways. Then
1: you have nothing to worry about. Um, yeah, Unless my I'm is, walking um, the last
0: 30 miles. <laughs>
1: You won't do that. But definitely enjoy it. As I mentioned, it is point to point. So I love that. And you'll love that too, because there's, you know, every step is new. Um, Don't underestimate the course because it is, um, everybody thinks Ohio is flat and it is not. Those trails have some wonderful climbs, but it sounds like little that I know about your training, it sounds like you're ready for those climbs anyway. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, have a blast. Those eight, the eight stations are phenomenal. I know we, most of us say that about ultras that we've run in because it's true. Because <laughs> the volunteers in eight stations, if we could bottle that up and somehow – Put that out in the use it in the corporate world or in the government. <laughs> Our country would be saved because <laughs> they're such good people and so organized. But yeah, yeah. savor it. I know you're you're gonna you know you probably will ex- do extremely well and and be be speedy. But um, enjoy it. Well, and, we'll see. You never know. You never know. You You never know. And that's another that's the other cool thing about this sport, isn't it? Is that there's how is? many variables are there? I mean, if we all got yep. together in a room and locked the door until everybody put down as many variables as you could think of, you know, we would never cover them all, you know, in, in, in however much time we would have in there. Because external and internal variables, they rule the day, <laughs> you know. So yep. whether it's your yep. tummy or the weather or whatever, but that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it. Because otherwise, you know, you can just go on a track and, and run a track, but even that has variables.
0: Every time you go yep. the line, it's an adventure. You never know how it's going to yeah, end. And, all you can do is prepare think, for, to get to the start.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and that, is, that again, that is a very sweet race because it's all new. Every step is new, and um, when the sky starts to light up, I want you to think about here comes the sun.
0: <laughs> so, I don't <laughs> I know. I'm looking, at song the, for some I'm, reason. I'm looking at the start time, and I might be done before the sun comes up if uh, everything well, goes yeah, right. So. Probably-
1: See, you will. Oh, forgive me. Oh, my which, gosh, you're right. Stinks. You definitely will. Which stinks, no, well, you'll, right? you'll see the this No, but you'll sing it um, during, the, during the first part. Because <laughs> you'll start in the dark. You're going to start at right. 4 a.m. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. You'll start yeah. in the dark. so yeah. <laughs> You can sing it so, then no, and then be done with I'm it. I'm not worried about <laughs> it.
0: My, as I, you know, once I pass 50, my A goal change to don't die, and that makes everything yes. easy.
1: Yes, absolutely. Just do it. After that, it's all. Yeah, it's all crazy. And remember, again, I mean, you know all this stuff, but this is just, it's a very, it's a, it's a big gift is what it is. And, you know, there's very few people that, that get to do it, let alone do it well. So I'm excited for you. I really am.
0: I'll put all the links for all your articles in the Heron project in the um in the uh, show notes there but you know if if there's somebody listening to this and thinks they might need some help do you have any uh any advice for them
1: Oh, my goodness yes my first advice would be to to ask for help to please please ask for help whether it's me someone you know someone you don't really know that well but trust or a number just call call um you know a, a number if, if you're concerned about talking to somebody you know, of course, please again contact me, and I can direct you to to the right uh, to the right places. To just trust the process, because I think that the, the the biggest barrier is shame and or fear. It really is. It was it was in my own case, and it is in the case of the lion's share of people that I either know personally or have worked with that, that have, have walked this the path of recovery. To just to not be afraid to ask for help and to, to trust the process. I've said many times that addiction is tragic but recovery is even more powerful. And that sounds like some optimistic, you know, saying but it's absolutely true. And I've seen it over and over and over in in my own life and in the the lives of those I've been fortunate to work with and around, it's recovery is not just okay. I'm I'm not using a substance anymore. Uh, it's it's so much more than that, and the ripple effect of the good is even better than that. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's very very powerful, and we're right. making great strides.
0: Well, well uh, am I going to see you out in Ohio?
1: I would I would love to, except I just realized that I will probably – well, no, I probably will be at the start of the 100, too. It's going to be a large crowd, but if – if uh, what I'll do is I, I will yeah. – hopefully we can share uh, cell numbers and we can text each other so I can at least give you a, a good love hug or handshake. Yes, exactly. I would love to do that. All
0: right. Thank well, you so well, much for your time, time and today for what and you do. Th- yeah, thanks, for, uh, okay. thanks for all you do as well. And good luck Appreciate with your you very much. with your, uh, with your project and uh, thank you. we'll talk to you soon. All right?
1: Okay, Chris. All right, thank, thank you bye-bye. so much. Talk to you, Bye-bye.
0: Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. 100-miler training the last big week. So I finished up my last big week of training this last weekend. And that's it. I'm in my taper for the race on the 27th. That gives me a three-week recovery before the race. The weekend was the biggest mileage and the biggest hours on the trail in one weekend in my life. It also included an all-night run, all night long, which was a first for me. And I learned a few new things, and I survived, and it went very well considering the scope of it all. The previous week was a down week to recover from the 90-plus week I ran the week before that. It gets hard to sort all this stuff out after a while with all the running that's going on, but if I look just at those last three weeks of training of this cycle, the first week was that big 93-mile week with 50 on Saturday followed by 15 on Sunday that we talked about last episode. And the intervening week was a down or recovery week with only about 30 miles in it. And this last week was the last big week of the cycle. And this last week, I topped out around 90 miles, and 70 of those were on the weekend. The midweek schedule was a little lighter. It was 6 on Tuesday, 8 on Wednesday, 6 on Thursday. And then the weekend was to be another 50 on Saturday, followed by 20 on Sunday, all on the trails. And we got a hot week. So I mixed up the time of day on my midweek runs. I usually get out early in the morning. It's just my schedule. That's my routine. But it's also the coolest time of the day. So I tried to get out, you know, per Mike and Kevin's advice, I tried to get out midday or mid-afternoon to get some heat training in. So that was good. And I also need to get some nighttime running practice in. Now, I'm not a stranger to running in the trails at night. I have always enjoyed a good headlamp caper in the woods with my buddies. But for a 100-miler, it's a bit different. You're running all night in the trails. And you're going to be exhausted. And I needed to to practice that. So coach said, go out at 10 p.m. And I looked at the calendar, and the math just didn't work. If I went out at 10 p.m. on Saturday for 50 miles, I wouldn't be done until mid-morning Sunday And I'd have to turn around and run another 20 and that would basically be a 70 mile straight through run. But to honor the intent of the training, I decided to go out at 10 PM on Friday night and run through Saturday morning and then follow up on Sunday with the 20. Now this training run was going to be a testing ground for many of the things that I have been working on through this training cycle. All night running big unknown for me. How would my body and brain react to this, the sleep deprivation? Would I fall asleep in the trail? Would I fall down and break my head? Would my lights work? Would I get eaten by wild animals? Test all these things. And frankly, one of the reasons I've avoided the 100 mile distance to this point is that I didn't like the idea of running all night long. That just seemed like an unnecessarily awful way to abuse my body. I'm an 8 hour a night kind of guy. I like my sleep. Now, other things I needed to test were my eating and my chafing. The last couple runs, I tried to fuel with gels and my stomach was very rumbly. So this time, I decided I needed to try to introduce some of these common ultra foods and see how my gut processed those. Chafing wise, my undercarriage was getting seriously chewed up on these long runs. I was giving up hope. And I wasn't looking forward to doubling that and tripling that abuse in the race. So I was trying to figure that out. Another thing I had come to find out in my last few long runs was that the water backpack was a bad idea. For this race, where the aid stations aren't that far apart, I would not need all that water on my back. It was chafing me and it made my back sore after a while. I would test something different. So on my way home from work Friday, I swung by the market to pick up some real food, some ultra food. I grabbed a bag of pretzels, some white bread for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and some yellow potatoes for boiled potatoes. That's what they serve on the course. They also serve a bunch of candy items, but I'm not a big candy eater. The point of all this is not to somehow replace the thousands of calories you're burning while you're out there. That just isn't possible. You're always going to be in a deficit. The point is to keep your blood sugar levels up, regulated, and your systems operating so you can burn fat efficiently and not have these severe low points in your energy. So you have to eat something to keep the systems running. The challenge of eating strictly gels or sports drinks is that after a few hours, your digestive system starts to rebel. All that sugar gives you a sour stomach. What takes most people out of these races, the number one thing is foot care issues, but the number two thing is digestive issues. You have to find a way to get enough calories down to keep the the train running on time without causing a distressing reaction in your gastrointestinal tract. Long story short, I whipped up a bunch of tiny peanut butter and jellies, boiled up some potatoes, and filled a few baggies with pretzels. I positioned my cooler on my porch with a big jug of water and all the other gels and lubes and sundries I might need through the night, and I also lined up a fresh change of clothes for somewhere around the halfway point. For the water, the fluids, I decided to go with a two-bottle solution instead of the backpack. So this is what I went with when I ran that 50-miler 10 years ago. Two bottles are around 40 to 44 ounces of fluid. And even if I'm walking, that should get me between aid stations on this course. I pulled out of retirement my old Go Light Slant Pack. This is a V-shaped waist belt that holds two big bottles on your hips. I've run a lot of miles in the old days in this pack, so I knew it would work. I seldom actually put two bottles in the slant pack. I put one bottle in the pack and sort of position it sideways on my hips so it doesn't bounce, and I carry the other bottle in my hand. The challenge with the slant pack is that they designed it to take a special bottle, a special chubby bottle. And if you use regular bike bottles, they fall out of the bottom, because there's only one elastic strap to hold them in, and it's not wide enough for the littler bottles. And I don't know if this was to make you buy the special proprietary bottles, but it's a pain in the ass. And I've lost (laughs) one of the two bottles that came with it. I'm not going out and buying more special bottles. So I re-engineered it to take a regular bottle. I found a needle and thread and sewed another strap crosswise to the bottom of the little bottle pouches. If this works, it will allow me to hot swap the bottles at the exchanges instead of having to stop and refill. This this worked great in the run, except I blew out one of the stitches on one side and we will have to redo it, but theoretically it works great. And since I only use one of the bottle pouches, I may actually re-engineer the other bottle pouch into a pocket for carrying stuff because the slant pack zippered pouch that it has on it is really small and oddly shaped, so I may need more, more carrying capacity. But what about that horrible undercarriage chafing? What's, what, what do we do about that? Well, since I talked about it in my last couple of episodes, I got some key advice from our old friend Alex who you will remember from running the UTMB episode last fall, and he recommended spray plaster, which translated to American is liquid bandage. So, what is this? This is a remedy that you spray or paint onto minor wounds or scrapes to seal them. It dries to form a solid film barrier. And it seems to work. You apply it heavily to the danger areas before you go out, and you let it dry for five minutes or so, and it gives you a solid, flexible layer of protection. And, you know, this sounds reasonable. But in practice, it means lying spread-eagle naked somewhere to apply and dry. And it's a bit like a gynecological exam position. And based on the smell and consistency, it seems like a form of super glue. It seems a bit of a heavyweight chemistry to me, and I would not spray it directly on the more sensitive mucus membranes, if you know what I mean, but for my inner thighs where I was having the most issues, it worked fabulously. You still have to lube generously on top of that. The plaster's the base layer of a multifaceted shaving defense system. So, Friday night. With all my preparations done, all my stuff queued up on the porch, I get ready to run. And my wife casually, you know, she's sitting on the couch watching TV. She looks at me and says, hey, so how long are you going to be? And I responded, oh, 11 or 12 hours probably. And she did one of those classic cartoon double takes as this information sort of sunk in. She's like, what? You're going to be in the woods all night by yourself? Isn't that dangerous? No, there's nothing in our woods that wants to eat me. I'll be fine. I'm coming back by the house every 10k or so. Where are you going to be? How will I know if you're okay? Listen, if I don't show up, just follow my normal trail loop and you'll find me somewhere. So a front had rolled through earlier in the day, breaking the heat. And it was cool and clear and breezy. And I started running. I decided not. To do the walk every four minutes routine I had practiced on the last couple runs. Instead, I just would practice hiking the uphills and running everything else that I felt like running. But I was in no hurry. I would take my time. This was about being on my feet all night long and not about speed. I had one of my normal headlamps and a small LED flashlight. It's much easier to navigate with two lights. With just a headlamp, you tend to get a a parallax effect. Um, You lose your depth perception. Simply said, the handheld gives you a better perspective. But even with two lights, it's hard to run technical trails in the dark. You still lose some of that depth perception, and you lose the accuracy of your foot placement. What I found was my feet and ankles took much more of a beating. I couldn't really lay in a good line through the obstacles, and my foot placement would be off just enough to catch the root or rock sideways with a little twist. And my Achilles ended up being quite sore all week from this sort of mincing about in the rocks all night long. And it was slow going, especially on the technical bits. You really have to slow down to navigate, and you have to shorten your stride up. I had my headphones in and I was listening to podcasts. Sort of a good news, bad news situation. If there was a lion about to spring from the bush, I would have never heard it coming. But at least I didn't have to listen to every little bothersome rustle in the underbrush. The first 10 miles, I was actually really tired. I just didn't feel good. And I didn't feel like I had a lot of pop in my legs. But, you know, I stopped by the house every 10K or so, making sure to slam the screen door so my wife knew I was still alive. And I was eating pretzels and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as I got into the run, and they were quite good. I tried a salted potato later on, and that was very good too. No stomach issues at all. I took very little gel. I had good energy and a good stomach. I carried the two bottles. One was plain water, and the other was F2C Energy and it worked out really well. When I felt my blood sugar dropping, I'd suck down some F2C. It would perk me up. There you go. Nutrition, fluids, check. Running through the first few hours of the night, I was wondering whether someone might not report me to the police. I was wondering how that conversation might go, but there was no such confrontation. It was strange to be out running, crossing roads, at two or three in the morning. There's no human activity, just me and my lights. And I didn't see any animals or really anything. With the clear sky, I could see the stars clearly in the sky when I broke out of the trails in the open field. And it was quite pleasant. There was a low partial moon that gave a little bit of light, enough for me to switch off my flashlight when I hit the road sections. And at one point, I looked at my watch and I saw, hey, I'm over three hours into the run. And thinking through the math, I realized that made it somewhere around one o'clock in the morning. And I only had a couple hours before the sun would start brightening the sky, as Homer would say, the rosy fingers of dawn. And I found this quite comforting and realized how short the nights are in the summer. And that seemed pretty cool. After 20 miles or so, I had to wander upstairs in my house to grab a long-sleeved shirt. The temps dropped down into the 50s, and I was chilled. I wore a pair of running gloves until the sun came up, partly to stay warm, but also to protect my hands if I started falling a lot in the night, which I didn't. And this was great weather for running. I kept my cadence going into the trails, across the road, up over the ridge, down around the lake. Back up over the ridge, back to the house, rinse and repeat. And I took some long breaks at the house. I had to eat real food. I had to refill my bottles. About halfway through, I practiced replacing batteries, which became comically difficult, this exercise of replacing batteries after a few hours of running. And I had my normal kit on, my speed goat hokas with the Captain America gaiters, Shorts, shirt, slant pack, gloves, running hat, lights. I tossed my droid into the slant pack so I wouldn't have to carry it, and I had my headphones on and a uh, flask of hammer gel, which I really didn't use much of. I took the opportunity to change into some dry clothes somewhere around the midpoint, and everything was going well. Another key thing that I did while upstairs getting the long sleeve shirt was to fish out my icebreaker briefs. Now, these are a pair of technical wool briefs that the people from in New Zealand gave me many years ago. I know wool, you're cringing, but they're technical, and they're a full brief, so they really don't cut into your bottom side as much as the man thong does. That seemed to make a difference, so I'll bring those with me for the race. I made a pit stop at 3.43 a.m., and I remember this because I was looking at the clock on the microwave as I was eating a boiled potato. And when I headed back out that time, I could see the glow starting to emerge in the eastern sky. And at this point, a lot of stuff started happening. It's funny because even though I'd been awake for close to 24 hours and had been running all night, my body realized it was morning. And it's funny how these daily rhythms are so ingrained in our systems. I don't know about your morning routines, but mine are fairly predictable. And I wasn't a half a mile out before my buddy said, Hey, it's morning. It's time to poop. And I had to circle back to the house. Now it was just after 4 a.m. And the glow was warming in the east. The next part of my morning routine kicked in. Because as I looked in through the porch door, there was Buddy looking back, wide awake. And his attitude was, I don't know what this is all about. But this is definitely something I want in on. This is totally my jam. It's a crack of dawn. You're in your, you're out running in the woods. I'm in. And ironically, as I was pooping, he got into my pretzels. With someone in the heavens slowly turning the dimmer switch up, buddy in tow, I headed back out into the trails. I was about halfway done and into full-on work mode. I wasn't sleepy at all. I was physically tired, like you tend to get after running a trail marathon or so, but I wasn't sleepy. Buddy had no problem hanging with me. It was a great combination, since he's over 100 years old, and I was running like I was over 100 years old. It was perfect. I was glad for the company. Under the tree canopy, I still needed the lights, but it was getting morning in a hurry, and the birds were getting noisy in the trees... Buddy and I crested a hill into a field, and there was a big deer standing there, looking at me. Less than 50 feet away, right in the middle of the field. And I tried to get Buddy's attention, but the deaf, old dog couldn't be bothered. He was more interested in the smell of a startled skunk nearby. So the deer and I had our moment, and then it bounded off, and Buddy never noticed. When I got back to the driveway to drop Buddy off at the house he realized that I wasn't carrying a leash for him, so he took this as an opportunity and trotted off into the neighborhood to go exploring, with me trailing behind trying to catch up. At this point, we were about an even match, and it took me a few hundred feet to catch him and drag him back to the house. I sat down to change into a new pair of shoes, and while I was sitting there, my wife was waking up and she poked her head in, and it was nice to talk to someone after a long night on the trails. So I had her unhook the gaiters for me because I wasn't having the best hand-eye coordination at that moment. I asked her to bring me the coffee that was left over in the pot from yesterday. And again, with the morning routines, right? I wasn't sleepy, but the cold coffee was awesome. I drank it with some more pretzels, and I joked that I like my coffee like I like my women. Strong and bitter. And she didn't think that was funny. Certainly not as funny as I thought it was. And by now, my Jaybird X3 headphones had died. And the Jaybird Run headphones wouldn't sync. So I flipped the droid on to play music and stuck it back in the slant pack. And for the next few hours, I would be that strange old guy filling the woods with Grateful Dead and Punk and Ska as I motored around in circles in the trails. And even though it was a new day, thanks to my long breaks... My long run, I was still five ish hours away from being done. I didn't feel much like hiking up and over that ridge anymore, so I did the last 10 miles or so in two loop circles near my house. Two mile loop circles. And as the morning brightened into day, I started passing people out walking their dogs. And I always like to meet the dogs. I say hi, even exhausted and sleep deprived. Dogs love me but it was a weird perspective. These people were out for an early morning walk, and I was 40 miles or more into an all-night trail run. And I passed one lady, and I don't know about you, but somehow my sense of smell gets heightened on these long trail runs. Must be some sort of feral Jean switching on, and she smelled of ivory soap and morning showers like an olfactory Saturday evening post cover by Norman Rockwell. So good, so pure, so fresh. And then it occurred to me that she was also being treated to my olfactory cloud. And what do we suppose that was? Dead goat. And not just a random hit-by-a-car, oh-so-sad dead goat. I'm talking three days old, lying in the sun, bloated with its intestines out on the pavement, dead goat. That's what she got. Probably not much of a trade. My Garmin gave up the ghost just over 11 hours in, and it was okay, because I knew where I was, and I know how long all the trail segments are, and I was still thinking straight and running well. I was very much thankful to have my droid lilting out dead tunes, and I was singing along. But then it started playing something that sounded like a single note, repeated over and over. And I thought, this must be one of those space jam segments that the dead play sometimes in concert. And I was too tired to dig my droid out of the pack and switch ahead to a song, so I decided to wait it out. And for 30 minutes I was cursing avant-garde musicians everywhere but it turns out it was a segment of beta wave study music that I had somehow downloaded onto my droid. So it was a slow night. I got my 50 miles or more done. I ran strong through the end of it and never felt weak or sleepy or sick. I was running for around 12 hours, including the long breaks. I ate real food. I stayed well hydrated and had good energy. I was awake for over 28 hours. And I would call that a successful mental toughness training session, and it makes me confident. I only fell a couple times, and only once hard. The stigmata on my palms has almost healed over now. I'll no longer be mistaken for the risen messiah. So I got home, and I took a shower, crawled into bed for a few hours of sleep. My chafing with the spray plaster strategy was minimal. And I made sure not to sleep too much so I didn't throw off my patterns. I got up and I did my Saturday errands. I felt creaky and tired, but I was mobile. And the next day, Sunday, I rolled out of bed and ran another 20 more miles in four or so hours. And I felt fine. I had plenty of energy. And again, used that slant pack to stay hydrated with two bottles per 10-mile loop. All good. And I spent the rest of the day cutting down a few trees in the yard and stacking up the logs. All in all, a good confidence-building weekend. I was a bit sore and a bit sleepy and a bit super hungry all week, but all lights are green for the race at this point. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, you have trotted through the woods listening to one note of binaural audio to the end of episode 390 4-390 of the run run live podcast good job you're fit you're ready to race and my training that's it it's going great i'm ready for my race anything can happen of course but i'm done and i've done those bits that i can control And looking at the calendar, I can see that the next episode of the Run Run Live podcast is scheduled to fall on the weekend of the race. And that's probably not going to (laughs) happen. But I'll figure something out for you. As is my habit, I tend to focus on running the race, not on social media or taking pictures. So don't expect me to do a running commentary. I I don't see any facility on the website for athlete updates either so I would suggest if you care you can follow Mike Croy or and or Kevin Green on the social media feeds because they'll be with me and they'll probably be more lucid than I am and if anyone wants to say hi at the race I'll be driving out from Massachusetts on the morning of the 27th that Friday so I can make that Friday night check-in If you want to DM me or shoot me an email at C-Y-K-T-Russell, that is Chris, Yellow, King, Tom, Russell, with two S's, two L's, at gmail.com, we'll hook up. So I found a couple of odd things on Netflix this past week, interesting things. One is a documentary by Werner Herzog called Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Now, Werner Herzog is a German director, actually sort of an archetype. Every time you see a movie that caricatures German directors, they're talking about Werner Herzog. So they let him bring cameras inside the Chavette Cave in France. And this is a cave that contains the oldest human paintings on earth as far as we know. And these paintings are pristine because a landslide sealed them off in antiquity. And these are beautiful works of art from our ancestors of 30,000 years ago, so pretty interesting. There's also a pretty good documentary on Bob Weir called The Other One, if you're uh, into the Grateful Dead. And there's a new podcast I'm listening to as well, which is called The Cascadia Podcast about the history of the Northwest All these links are in the show notes, if you're interested. And that's it for me this week. I appreciate all your support and encouragement. There is a membership option on my website if you feel motivated to help me pay my bills. I wanted to take a moment now, though, to thank my coach for getting me to this point. I frankly wasn't sure I had this kind of training in me, but here we are once more into the breach. Also wanted to thank a couple other folks for reaching out with their notes and encouragement on Burning River. Uh, local runner Sheila was telling me about the trails, and Rick also, is a local guy who's paced there a bunch of times, was telling me about the race, and my teammate Dane for giving me some encouragement and some words of wisdom. It's been an epic training cycle, and I will see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so
1: hard it made him cry. All
0: right. Cowboy kneel at the wheel and the bus to Never Never Land coming around. Here we go. 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 Hello and welcome.